Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app, which is available on Google Play, as well as the App Store. For today's podcast, we're going to be discussing some of the key themes in markets and a number of UK equities. And to do that, we're kindly joined by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast this morning. Good morning, John. How are you? Yes, very well, very well. Getting back, back into the swing of things now in, in January. And certainly that's being played out in markets as well, looking at things. Uh, of course, we, we saw a bit of volatility at the beginning of the year, uh, Alan, but really uh, things starting to heat up now in markets. So I'm sure everybody listening to this would have seen the gyrations and the roller coaster ride that we've seen in the FTSE 100, as well as um, over in the United States in their major indices there, particularly looking at the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. So, I mean, Alan, there's always a question when looking at the FTSE 100, and especially this, this has been particularly prevalent over the last few years and when we've we've had the bounce back from the uh, the initial sell off we saw on coronavirus, mm. that there is a consistent outperformance. There has been a consistent outperformance by U.S. company, sorry, U.S. companies, U.S. indices driven by technology companies. But we've seen so far uh, in two thousand and twenty two. That's looking at year-to-date performances, albeit you know relatively short. We're still not through January. The FTSE 100 has gained 1.5% on the year, whereas if you're looking at the S&P 500, that's down 8.5% as of yesterday's close. And the NASDAQ, obviously the tech-heavy NASDAQ, is down 13.5% on the year. And it does raise this question in terms of are we now in a year where given what's happening with tech, given what's happening with interest rates and looking at the composition of the FTSE 100, that being very heavy into miners, very heavy into, into banks, of course, oil companies, tobacco companies, maybe some defensive sectors in there as well, people would like to pick out, that we could see the FTSE 100 become a destination of choice for global investors, not just investors here in the UK, but investors from around the world that are looking for a safer index, a safer equity index to put their money in in 2022. That that's a that's a a, a very a, a very interesting point that you've made there, John. And I think, um, of course, the FTSE <clears throat> hitherto has it's always been connected. To the, the the U.S. indices, of course, the old story: Dow sneezes, we catch a cold. Um, usually holds true, but um, yeah, when you look at that data in comparison to the S and P, and uh, very strong performance from the FTSE 100. Um, of course, when we've spoken previously, we've talked about uh, you know coming out of COVID, the, the end of furlough schemes, uh, companies concerned about survival going forward. But equally, um, and equally, of course, there is the concern over over Brexit, what impact that's going to have. Well, I, th- I think actually the Brexit question is being answered pretty emphatically there by the, the uh, strong outperformance of, of the FTSE, because hitherto, of course, we were always 
shackled to Europe in so many ways uh, with our economy. We're now free of that. Um, and so British companies, um, albeit, of course, these are companies operating globally, as you say, you know, very, very uh, mining resource um, and uh, banks and financials heavy. But nonetheless, I think it's um, I think it, it goes to show that our indices and our economy is being judged on a standalone basis now. And um, clearly, given the outperformance year to date, investors are liking what they see um, going forward. You know, I think we're I, I think um, many people would agree. If you look at the performance of the FTSE 100 over the past 10, 20 years, um, you know, we've we've not really progressed a great deal. So whereas in comparison to other indices, you know, we we have seen those indices rise substantially. Obviously, certain sectors have risen and certain stocks have risen during that time. But as as a whole, the indices hasn't performed. And um, this could be the time that the FTSE 100 actually comes of age. I mean, the, the, the UK markets and London markets have always been a destination for companies to come and raise money. You know, the London standing as a global financial centre, you know, much as some of the European indices would like to say that uh, um, the interest is now migrating to them. I don't believe that's the case. I think London still has a very strong standing. And certainly if the last three to four weeks uh, performance to start the year is anything to go by, um, I think a lot of global investors are taking the same view. Indeed. And as you pointed out, there's, there's of course, sectors that do particularly well here in London. And, and there's a great interest for them, particularly those in the in the minerals uh, sectors. I mean, you're just looking at the number of IPOs that we've uh, seen in the last year in the mining sector, as well as many other sectors and ones that we've heard about that are going to be coming up this year. It does show that there is a lot of interest here in, in the UK markets. But I mean, going back to the sort of overall picture of, of looking at the composition here in uh, in London and, and particularly the FTSE 100, Alan, do, I mean, do you think you mentioned their European indices? And, and, and when I speak to you know, portfolio managers, uh, fund managers that, that are looking after you know, significant uh, asset pools, there, there te- tends to be a, a sort of differentiation on the basis of looking at the United States and Europe. And, and there's an element of, of feeling that Europe, as, as a whole is is undervalued. I mean, do you think there's there's much we need to drill down further and, and, and sort of really separate the FTSE 100 from other European indices uh, due to its makeup? Or do, or do you think there's there's some same, you know, similar characteristics across, you know, the, the, the German DAX, for example, the French CAC and, and what's here in, in the FTSE 100? Or is this something that, you know, investors need to sort of look at and think, OK, I want to look at the UK as opposed to Europe as a whole? Well, Again, this would be your. This would probably be down to your interpretation as a, as as a uh, as a Remainer or or uh, somebody um, in favour of Brexit. But certainly, the European indices um, do do of course track the FTSE 100. But of course, the European indices um, as a whole are weighed down by the responsibility of the weaker economies. Um, and uh, well, some people call them basket case economies. That's probably a little bit unfair, but certainly the weaker economies that are relying on the powerhouses like Germany to 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 keep them standing. So um, 
of course, we were part of that, and that's no that's no longer the case. Although, of course, we are affected by what happens in Europe, um, our indices now do, um, doesn't reflect our membership there anymore because because we're not. So, um, so uh, yeah, the, the, there is of course still great value in Europe, but um, I believe the bigger picture there may dissuade some investors uh, compared to say the UK economy. Um, and uh, and the, the the strengths that the UK has to offer, you know, you know as an island nation with its uh, interests around the world, I, I think um, I think uh, you know this could be a very good year for the FTSE. But um, yeah, I, I certainly would discount the European indices uh, also performing well too. But um, they will always have the, the fact it will always be there that they are shackled to some some of the weaker economies and some of the, com- the economies that carry a lot of debt. Yes, indeed, indeed. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out for the the rest of this year and and whether you know this, this uh, uh, disalignment to some extent between the uh, the FTSE 100 and uh, the US indices is just a blip, and whether indeed we actually see the the, the US indices rally to catch up with the FTSE 100 in terms of performance, or indeed the FTSE 100 give up some of its performance and. Uh, and decline to fall back in line with uh, US indices. So that's a story that I'm sure we're going to be covering on the podcast going forward. But Alan, the first company we're going to discuss today is one which is a very good barometer uh, of the UK economy and also how uh, consumers have uh, have changed their habits during the pandemic. And that's that's uh, pets at home. Obviously, there was a huge uptake of pets, mm. and you know the, the accessories and, and whatever else comes comes with it. Very good set of numbers from Pets at Home this morning, Alan. What do they look like? Yeah, a very a very strong set of numbers, John. Um, of course, Pets at Home. Um, we've spoken about other companies uh, uh, um, across the the, uh, the the pet and the veterinary industry. Um, everyone, well, I say everyone. Most people have considered if not uh, bought a pet during lockdown if they don't already own one um you know we we have two dogs where we, we love our dogs so so nothing's changed for us in that regard but certainly um the the cost of looking after a pet the the uh the accessories that can now be acquired the veterinary services the insurance the, the whole kit and caboodle is absolutely huge it's a huge burgeoning marketplace and another company we've spoken about in the same area cvs group of course on several occasions their shares have just uh, grown and grown they've acquired veterinary change across the uk um but of course pets at home are the eponymous chain store up and down the country where you can go in you can buy you can buy a bed for your dog or you can buy some feed or whatever you like or you can actually buy pets directly from them as well so so of course this is a great thing um they also have within the group um they, ha- they have an online service a very strong um, a website where you can order stuff uh, and get your get your, your your pet food ordered direct or get your get your pet medicines ordered direct um and of course veterinary services and and also grooming services too which are which are very important you know i know uh, my wife, my wife likes to take our Yorkshire Terriers in to get them groomed at um, a local groomer, and um, you know the cost of that over the past few years have risen considerably too. So um, all in, it's a, it's a, it's a real burgeoning industry, and of course, uh, all the pets that have been acquired during lockdown, um, you know, as they, as the saying goes, a pet is for life, or a dog is for life, not just for Christmas. So are pets. Um, 
but in regard to numbers, um, they uh, Pets at Home reported very strong growth this morning, uh, a near on nine percent rise on like for like uh, sales um, at three hundred nineteen point four million, um, and uh, the the group said that um, it's now a very competitive industry. You know there are many other retailers in the space, and of course you know years ago you'd have your little cor- corner pet shop, and a lot of the local pet shops are now doing very well on the back of the prices that the bigger chains are charging so um so you know it's uh, there is a lot of competition in the area but um the chief executive peter pritchard said that the company's firmly on track to report a record year of sales and profit growth um with underlying pre-tax profits expected in at 140 million above uh, previous expectations and of course that's why the shares are up uh, just over three percent this morning at four at 431 pence um but again that the the company reiterated what i've just said pet ownership shows little signs of slowing down of course covid has changed work practices people now work from home um of course you know we work from home so the dogs are running around the house but also i noticed when i go into the innovation center to record our interviews and and to meet clients um a lot of people there bring their dogs into work there and this is this is again much more commonplace now too we're seeing dogs uh, in the workplace um and you know the, the habits are changing i mean uh, um the uh the, the company uh, pets at home this morning said that you know the uh, the, the, there's increased competition, but um, they are—they're just seeing this huge burgeoning market ahead, and um, and making sure that they have the resources in place to be able to to sell into it. So, you know, frankly, they're in a in a very good position. Um, the the shares have actually, if we look at the share price performance on the year, we are probably about halfway. The shares have hit a high of. 525 pence on the year but they bounced off year lows around christmas at just above four pounds so anyone buying um certainly uh certainly a few weeks ago will have seen a nice increase in the stock um and the stock's also attractive it pays a 2.2 percent dividend yield too so um and, and uh i think there may be uh maybe discounts uh you know in some cases um if you hold shares in the company there may be certain discounts that you can get uh in the store as well so yeah all in all great growth prospects um you know and a burgeoning sector yes indeed and i think the point of the dividend there is is an important one because i mean if we look and make comparisons to other you know so-called covid stocks and netflix is quite an interesting one in terms of seeing a big boost during the pandemic, but but sales figures and a number of new subscribers has, has started to fall back uh, recently. So it's going to be interesting to see whether uh, pets at home are able to replicate and and, and produce further uh, significant increases in in profit, or whether it's a case of, of looking at the market now and saying we've got a very good foothold in it. It pays a dividend, fairly well valued to market cap at around. Two billion. Um, if they're looking at a pretext profit of 140 million, that doesn't look too uh, too expensive to me. Given that there's a, you know, that's quite a reliable market now. You know, it's going yeah. to be quite a sticky business in terms of of revenue. So certainly one to probably look at any further dips that we see in the market. In my view, there on uh, on pets at home. So. Alan, now let's move on. So we've got now a few, as we're beginning, at the beginning of the podcast, we were sort of mentioning the heavy weighting towards commodities in London. We, of course, now have uh, have a number of uh, commodity shares to look at. The, fl- the first of all is Blencow. They've got 
a number of, of updates they've they've put in since we last discussed them on the podcast. And, and, and I believe there's going to be some more updates coming from them in the very near future. Yes, it, it, it's getting... It, we're entering what I think will be a, a transformational year for Blancow. Um, the company has done... Certainly made very strong progress um, uh, at its Orem Cross project. So uh, the company's uh, the company has a flagship uh, project, which is the Orem Cross Graphite project in Uganda, um, and this is it's a, it covers a huge area, some two thousand square miles, um, and the, the the company have uh, completed. There's a work camp established there, and they've completed. Um, uh, a, a lot of work at, at the project, um, and uh, j- j- just worth uh, worth recapping on that, the company um, uh, undertook um, a survey and established what was what we refer to as a prelim- pre- preliminary economic assessment of the value of the project. Um, now, I, I, sh- I should point out that um, they have cited a they have a site for a potential mine at uh, Orem Cross. Um, uh, but uh, the graphite uh, which they mine there is very close to the surface. In some cases, you can see it sticking out of the surface. And the area is so vast that the area that uh, they, um, they've they established a maiden jork resource estimate at represents less than 1% of the total area. So once they get this up and running, they can basically go out and do it again and again and again. And that's, the, that, what, that's what really excites me about this company. You know, there is... There is Real, really significant upside on offer. I think going forward, not only just on the current project, but also with what else could be found within the license area too. So they've established a preliminary economic assessment. Uh, that's done um, a, a, a net present value of three hundred and seventeen million dollars. Um, internal rate of return of forty nine percent with a thirteen year mine life. Um, and uh, it's estimated that. Um, that uh, we could see up to $40 million per annum EBITDA, um, assuming that graphite sells at just over over, over $1,000 per tonne. Uh, so that's uh, going to equate to some $351 million over 13 years. Um, and, of course, the, the company currently trades on a valuation of, what is 4.4.5p just under, um, giving the company a market cap of $7.2 million. And, in um, an announcement a few weeks back, um, the company announced that um, Consolidated Africa African Holdings, who they bought the Orange Cross project from uh, a year ago, sold out its entire its entire holding, which of course has been picked up by other investors in the market. Um, and um, you know the, the the those shares were purchased on market. Um, and Cameron Pierce, the chairman, said at that point that they think with the current market cap, it's significantly undervalued. Um, you know, as evidenced by the PEA, which yielded an MPV for Orm Cross of three hundred and seventeen million. And um, you know, they the, the company also raised a further two million in December at five p per share. So we're currently trading under. The, uh, under the raised price, which um, probably to some de- degree reflects the malaise in mining and resource stocks at present. But at some point, this is going to turn around. And companies that uh, have a project that's being advanced, like Oron Cross, are going to really, really see progress. And today, the company announced an update on its work program. Um, so they there will be an upgraded uh, Jork resource for the assets uh, based there 
um, and that's imminent. And of course, that will lead to an increase in the PA as well. Um, the commence commencement of the pre-feasibility study is underway, and the company has also uh, appointed um, an on-the-ground project manager uh, uh, there to oversee and to work and develop the project. So a really exciting step forward from the company, uh, hugely undervalued, I think. And I think the you know you pick Blenkow shares up at this level, you're not going to go too far wrong. Indeed, and uh, graphite is certainly one of those metals that's likely to see an increase in demand for uh, as we go forward into the adoption of, of electric vehicles. Uh, anybody that's interested in electric vehicles and, and the metals uh, that are being used in greater amounts uh, for the production of these cars, we've produced on the UK Metal Magazine website a couple of articles looking at lithium and nickel shares. So uh, may well do one on graphite as we go forward because that is a significant component of the manufacturing process for uh, electric vehicles and, of course, uh, a cleaner battery power. So that, uh, that may be something that we do there. And, and of course, you know, if we see the production there from, from Blencow, that would be a very bright future for them. So, Alan, now looking uh, again in the, in the commodity sector, we have tertiary minerals. So uh, where we're looking at Blencow, very much focused on, on graphite. We're now looking at, at tertiary here that have quite a broad exposure to metals through uh, copper, silver, and gold. Uh, what's the latest update from them? Okay, well, it, it was just really to say, of course, the, the company is Nevada-focused. It's got a, a raft of projects in Nevada. Um, also, like uh, we spoke about gold metal prospects, a pre-IPO company coming to market in April. Um, we spoke about them last week. But uh, Tertiary uh, um, uh, announced a, a, a fundraise the other day. They raised um, they raised around 600000 uh, and that's basically to progress works this year. Um, a lot of people took part in that uh, in that uh, uh, fundraising. Um, and today we see that Sanderson Capital Partners, who uh, also participated, now hold or their, their shareholding increased from 3.2% to 10.4%. So that's a pretty chunky holding. And I think it, you know, it just shows that a lot of people, certainly like myself and other people in the market, think tertiary is very undervalued with the asset base it has. Particularly considering the pyramid project, they have um, they have this silver discovery, which is which was uh, which was uh, 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 logged and and um, and announced last year. So the shares are currently trading at 0.17p, um, giving it a market cap of 2.4 million. Which um, there's no there's no premium in there at all for any of the assets the group has. Never mind the silver discovery. So um, at, you know, along with blank out at some point, I, I expect tertiary mineral shares to. To, uh, to 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 really start to raise higher, but um, that's my view. Of course, share go, shares can go down as well as up. So um, do your own research. Yeah, and one that uh, I'm sure we're going to be discussing on the podcast when we do get further updates from uh, from them and how they're going to be deploying that capital they've just raised. So just to finish off here quickly, Echo Energy, yeah. Alan, one that we, we were discussing last year on the podcast, and we saw a tremendous move to the upside. Uh, but things seem to have died there uh, recently, Alan, in terms of looking at the, the share price. Re real uh, declines from that spike we saw last year. And there was some promise in their operations. It's actually quite an interesting company. 
uh, if we if we look at their assets and what they're actually doing, uh, Alan. So what, what's what's the story there? Well, they've uh, they made a very significant announcement on January the fourteenth. Um, after which I spoke with or an interviewed Chief Executive Martin Hull. Um, of course, the, the company, the company, uh, its core base, and part of the reason for the the huge increase in the share price last year. Um, firstly, they restructured a, a lot of legacy debt, which was pushed on to 2025. Secondly, uh, they also received some um, some VAT refunds from uh, from the Argent the Argentine authorities. Um, they they have the Santa Cruz uh, uh, oil and gas uh, uh, field assets uh, in at the southern tip of, of Argentina. Um, and uh, th- thirdly, a lot of the wells that had been dormant were brought back into production. And then the cash flow from those wells was used to invest into other wells. And part of the, uh, uh, during the interview, I'd, uh, my interview with Martin, we discussed uh, the well intervention, pro- intervention program that's scheduled for 2022. Um the current production levels, which uh, which are up every month, uh, you know, we're seeing seeing you know big increases month on month, um, uh, December ahead of November ahead of October and so on, um, and uh, the well intervention intervention program will again take some of that cash from production and also from the the, the premium gas uh, uh, prices they're achieving in the market there, and will be used to uh, to to um, bring other wells back on stream. So very exciting from that standpoint but the company also has just started um on a renewables program to so as as part of um its drive to become uh, or move towards carbon neutral um the uh the renewables program will see the company in its first um investment it has an option to uh, acquire 70 percent of the vincente vincente mendez a uh, three megawatt solar project in Chile, and it's um, south of Santiago um, in central Chile, uh, near to a town called Chilan, and it's literally about um, uh, it's it's about a kilometer from the from the grid, so very easy to connect up uh, connect the solar power up to the grid. So we're going to see more of these, I think, uh, during the year as well as the company ex- expands the space. But um, you know, the, again, the shares have come back. I think in line with a lot of energy and a lot of um, resource stocks. But um, worth watching the interview. Um, you know, it was a very informative interview. We used a lot of slides in there, and Martin talked through the slides. And that's, of course, on the on the Brand UK YouTube channel. Or just go to Brand UK on Twitter, and you can see the interview uh, link there. Fantastic. So do do check that out. So uh, breakdown of the the companies that we discussed today on the podcast. We started off. Uh, with Pets at Home, the ticker of P-E-T-S. Then was Blencow Resources um, with a ticker of B-R-E-S. It was then Tertiary Minerals with a ticker of T-Y-M. And to finish off there was Echo Energy with a ticker of E-C-H-O. Alan, thank you much for being the podcast today. Thank you, John. So just as a reminder to listeners, we have a couple of uh, virtual events coming up in... February. First of all, on the 8th is the Aquis event. So we're going to be having a keynote speech from their CEO, as well as a presentation from a few companies that are listed on the Aquis exchange. And then on the 22nd 
of February, we have the Metals and Mining Virtual Conference. So do check out the UK Investor Magazine website event section so you can get yourself registered for those. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.